Um, 1 Peter 1, 12, if you got that there. Lord, I just pray uh, right now, Holy Spirit, I pray, would you open up our eyes this morning to maybe something new that we haven't thought about. Lord, would you, uh, Lord, help us to hear what you want to say to us this morning. And Holy Spirit, help us see what you want us to see this morning. Father, for each person in this room, take what I'm about to say, interpret it into a language that they understand and speak to their hearts, their spirits, what it is that you want to say to them this morning. Father, we trust you, we believe, we're expecting, and we say thank you for the cross in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. 1 Peter 1, 12. Just uh, very quickly, this is the, the beginning uh, of the year, uh, 2020. It's funny, 2020 is the perfect vision thing. You know, I was just thinking the other day that uh, I remember being in YWAM in the early 90s and the Lausanne uh, Committee of World Evangelization, a big, uh, all cross-denominations and ministries all uh, met together and they discussed uh, world evangelization issues. How do we reach the world? And they had a vision called the 2020 vision. And that vision was that by the year 2020, every tribe, nation, and tongue on planet Earth would have heard the gospel expressed in their own cultural understanding and cultural language. And uh, haven't hit that vision yet. There are still many people out there that haven't heard. But they were heading in a direction, and, and when you look back and you look at how far world evangelization has come, um, hey, it's not so much about the speed, it's the direction that we're heading in, and we're heading in the right direction. Along those lines, I also saw, I don't know if anyone else saw it last night on the news, Channel 9 News, they showed a clip where they went back uh, 12 years ago and looked at um, uh, what the vision was for 2020 for Australia. Anyone see that clip? And this is where we would be at as a nation in 2020. It's interesting because you look at where we are right now, we're not exactly where they wanted us to be, where they foresaw our nation in 2020. We would be here. We're not exactly there, but again, we've made progress and we're walking in the right direction. We never get there as quick as we want to. Who, who never gets there quick enough? Or am I the, yep. I feel like you never get there quick enough, but it's not about the speed, it's about the, the direction that we're heading. Are we heading in the right direction? That's really what it comes down to. Um, as far as church goes here at Arise, we've always had a very simple, basic philosophy. If God wanted this to be a complex church, he would have picked someone other than Alan and Jackie to lead it. Okay, So if you want more complexity and deepness and richness and so on, there are wonderful pastors and churches and leaders out there that can give you all the, all the nuances of this and nuances of that. We're very simple, and uh, we believe God uh, wants us to keep it simple. And so our philosophy of church is very easy. I've got two basic premises for how and why and what we do at church. And by the way, for those of you that are new... Um, in a few weeks' time, we're going to have a morning where we'll get you guys together and we want to share with you a little bit of the story of Arise and we want to share with you a little bit of, of why we do what we do, why we don't do what we don't do. A little bit of the culture and philosophy as to why we are the way we are. Every church has a flavour and, and that flavor, there's a reason why that flavour exists in that particular congregation or whatever. So we want to give you a bit of uh, uh, insight into what it is that you put your hand up to be a part of. We've got a lot of new faces that have joined us in the last six months in particular. So we want to uh, give you a chance to also not only hear from us, but ask us some questions as well. So I'll keep you posted. That's going to happen in a few weeks' time. We'll probably try to do it on a Sunday morning, so it's not back out again another time, but we'll let you know. So that will hopefully, if you're sitting there with questions, hopefully that uh, gathering will help, will answer some of those questions. But our philosophy, in a nutshell, is very simple. Number one, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus made a statement. He said this, he said, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail. Gates of hell won't prevail. He made a very defining statement there. He said, I will 
build my church. Now, I can build my church if I want to, but there's no guarantee from heaven that the gates of hell won't prevail against that one. So who wants to come to the church that Alan's trying to build? Hands down. I don't even want to be in it myself. So I, we don't want to build a church that we want to build. We want to build a church and be a part of a church that God is building. Jesus said, I will build it. Not I'm thinking about it, I might, maybe if I get time, I get around to it, I get some spare moments. He said, no, no, this is my agenda, my goal. I'm going to build this movement on earth called the church. I'm going to build it. And when I build it, it's not going to go forward, back, forward, back, forward, back. What I'm building, what I'm doing is going to be so powerful that even every demonic spirit from hell itself is not going to tear down, break and destroy what I'm doing. So we're very careful and we've got a leadership team and a board and we're very careful to try to make sure that where we're going is the direction that we believe that the Holy Spirit wants us as a congregation to go. There are many directions and focuses and emphases we could have, but we want to stick with what we feel like God wants for us. And the central point of that is the cross. That's why we have communion every single week. The cross is the central point. I I believe this, that we will never be unified in theology. But we can be unified in purpose. We're always going to think different things about this and different things about that. And sometimes we get caught up too much on what people believe about tongues or what they believe about healing or what do you believe about the, you know, this and that. Look, what do you believe about Jesus? His death, burial, resurrection. What do you believe about that? If we settle that, then we can work together. Okay? If we settle that issue. And we all believe that, that Jesus didn't say, I could be the way, I'm kind of the way, I might be the way, I'm one of the ways. No, he said, I am the way. He didn't say, I'm a kind of a truth, one of the truths, sort of a truth, mainly truth, partly. A... He said, no, no, I am the truth. And he said, I am the life. And he said this, nobody comes to the Father except through me. me. No one. So we settle the issue of Jesus. Now, Jesus said that I will build my church. The second thing that I see uh, in the Bible and I see coming out the mouth of Jesus is a mandate for that church. He said, I'll build the church. So I build the church, but I also tell the church what the church exists on planet Earth for. And it's in Matthew 28, and we all know it as the Great Commission, going to all the world, preach the gospel. The church belongs to him, not us, it belongs to him. And the mission, because he owns it, he determines the mission of the church. And the mission of the church is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, how we do that differs from this place to that place to this place to that place. But as long as what we're doing is about taking that message to a world and communicating that message to the world in a way they understand, then I, really, then I believe that we're doing what Jesus called us to do. Within that context, there are many ways to do that. And that's basically the philosophy of what we do here. As long as uh, we understand that, that the church belongs to him, we're just steering it where we think it should go, and whatever we do has to be done with an understanding that our primary mandate is to get this message out there to the world. We don't want to get sidetracked with a billion other things that are fantastic and great, by the way. They're awesome. There's nothing wrong with a lot of things that get done in the world right now. Nothing wrong with all... But so long as the end result of these things we're doing is not an end in itself. The end in itself is we want to get this good news of Jesus Christ to people because one day they will pass from this earth, they will stand before him and it won't matter whether we gave them a piece of clothing, whether we fed them. It won't matter whether we made them feel good about themselves, whether we talked them up and they got... it. What will matter is did we... Did they have a clear understanding of that message and what decision did they make with that? That's... The primary thing. That's what Jesus was about. He came to die to take away the sins of the world. He did something so powerful that right now salvation is literally right in the front of the face of every person on planet Earth. They just don't know about it. Paul put it this way in Romans. How can they know unless he tells them? We're living in a world that's suppressing that message more and more and more. Taking it away. Taking it out of the schools. We're taking it off the TV. We're taking it out of the workplaces. 
We're trying to get rid of that message so that people aren't hearing it. It's almost like, in, in many ways, we're going forward in, 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 in the developing nations and reaching tribes and everything like that. In the Western world, it feels like we're going backwards with this message. But Jesus is still building his church, amen? We're a part of that church, we're a part of that movement. And so, with that as a basis, I, I want to talk this morning about service, about how I see service. You noticed up the back there, the sheets, and I'm going to leave them there for a few weeks. And I want you to hear my heart in what I'm saying. We've been spending a lot of time in the last six months making one degree adjustments. Everyone, those who have been around for a while, you've heard me say that a few times, one degree. One degree. I wonder when Jesus looks down on the church, he goes, is that the church that when I stood with that group of people and said, go into all the world, make disciples, is that the church that he envisioned we would look like in 2,000 years? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I haven't asked him. But I do believe there are some areas where I don't think we are who he thought we would be. And so we've been in the last six months, a lot of stuff that we've been talking about has been about making those one degree changes, just one degree at a time. How did we get here? We got here one degree at a time. We didn't just go from, from, from radical, uh, passionate spirituality and, and, and uh, Acts chapter 8 where uh, Stephen gets martyred and all the believers fled Jerusalem and everywhere they went they preached the gospel. We didn't get from there to here by one single event. Nowadays, we, if, if that was to happen to us today, instead of going, well, you know what, this opportunity's blown up in front of my face, I'll move on to there and I'll tell people about Jesus, we get caught up in the opportunity that blew up. Oh, God, where are you? Why don't you love me anymore? Why did this happen? Me, me, me. So something's happened along the way where we've lost something. So we've been, last six months, sort of just chipping away, looking at little changes. And I want to throw some thoughts at you about this area of service this morning. 1 Peter 1.12 says this, and this is uh, Peter speaking about the prophets of old, speaking about a lot of the guys that wrote those documents that you have gathered in your little leather-bound um, thing that you're carrying with you today called the Bible, these prophets of old. And here's what he said. He said, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke the things that have now been told you by those who've preached the gospel. I want to stop at that one point at the start. It was revealed to them. That word revealed is a Greek word apocalypto. It literally means that something that was hidden and disclosed, the veil was taken off your eyes and you saw something that you hadn't seen before. That's literally what it means. And my prayer this morning is that as we talk about these things in the next 20 minutes, that the veil would come off our eyes and that we would see something that maybe we haven't seen before about service. Because I think we've gone about service perhaps in a wrong way in the past. And I just want to throw some thoughts at you this morning. It says that it was revealed to them. They saw something that they didn't see before. What was it that they suddenly saw that they didn't see before? It was revealed to them that this, they weren't serving themselves, but you. What was revealed to them was this, what they were doing and actioning this moment in time, this message they received. Now keep in mind, Peter is saying this to people sitting, uh, uh, gathered, seven, eight hundred years after these prophets had spoken. This is hundreds of years later. And Peter's saying this, hundreds of years ago, seven hundred years ago, these guys did something. They did something. And God showed them at the time, what they're doing right now was not for them. They weren't serving themselves. In fact, they weren't even serving the next generation. They weren't going to be grandparents watching the birth of the children that it would impact. This was going to be something they were doing for generations that they would have no human contact with. Now what interests me is this. There was nothing in it for them, but they did it anyway. They did it anyway. 
They still went through what they went through in their time and in their day and age to get together that message God gave them and to declare it to the ridicule. Some of these guys were, were, were murdered. They were seen as being crazy. The prophets didn't have it easy. But what they did, they did not to serve themselves. Hey, look at me, I'm a prophet. Hey, I got the gift. The Lord spoke to me and I'm delivering. What they did, they knew what we're doing here is not for us. It's for somebody else. And that somebody else is generations away. But what fascinates me about it is that they did it anyway. They did it anyway, even though there was nothing in it for them. True service is not about serving yourself. It's about serving others. We all agree on that. Yep, hands up if you agree with that. True service is about serving others, not about serving you. Um, anyone ever, ever heard of a prophet called Paul Blart? Paul Blart. Anyways, he's a famous prophet. Yeah, you know where I'm going with this? Paul Blart's a famous prophet. Um, if you go Google movies, Paul Blart Mall Cop. Okay? It's a movie. But, I, but he makes a statement in the movie that is so incredibly prophetic, it's not funny. Paul Blart is a, a security guard in a mall. And, of course, people kind of look down on him and so on. And through a series of events, Paul finds himself standing in front of a big security conference. And he makes this statement. He says this. He says, if the purpose of your life is to serve yourself, then you have no purpose. And I went, amen, to the TV screen. And I went, where is Pastor Pro- Paul Blood, I want to send some money to his ministry. I want to buy his books. I want to hear what else he has to say. And then I watched the movie and thought, mm, no, I'll just pluck that bit out. That'll do. If the purpose of your life is to serve yourself, then you have no purpose. It's unfortunate. Now, hear my heart here. It's unfortunate, but in many cases, the church has created a self-serving environment that's crippled its own efforts to grow. We've created a self-serving environment that stunted the growth of the church itself. And when I say church itself, I mean individual movements and pockets of believers. I think we're creating this image around service that without realising that the end result of this image we create is that we're stunting our own growth, our own ability to grow in maturity and our own ability to grow numerically as well. Let Let me ask you a question. How do you know whether you're serving yourself or you're serving others? Here's a couple of thoughts. Now, I want you to go with me. Don't stone me. I want you to stay this journey till the end because I know some of you are going to want to pull up stumps, but please, like I say every week, stay with me. Here's the thing. Are you waiting to serve till you find something that gives you self-satisfaction? Are you looking to serve to get self-fulfillment? Do you hear things like, well, I'm just going to find my passion. And right now you don't have my passion, so when you do, I'll be there. Do you say things like, I've just got to be using my gift. I've got to use my gift. It's about my gift. And, and, And you don't have anything here right now for my gift. How many people have left churches because, oh, but you're not using my gift. Like your gift was the most important thing in the agenda of God. There's no place for my gift here. Well, there might not be a place for your gift right now, but there's a place for you. These guys were not serving themselves because it's not primarily about them. They understood something about service. It was not primarily about them. Here's a a thought. Churches, this is my opinion, churches grow stagnant and increase stocks when the people are only 
interested in serving themselves. When I'll only serve because there's something in it for me. Self-fulfillment. Self-satisfaction. That's my passion. I'm using my gift. Now there's a place for self-satisfaction, self-fulfillment, passion and gift. That's why I'm saying stay with me. We'll get there. Don't jump off the bus yet. Churches grow stagnant and increase stops when people are only interested in serving themselves. How many people don't serve because there's nothing in it for me? There is no self-satisfaction. That is not my gift. I don't feel led. I don't feel called. It's not my thing. It doesn't float my boat, all that sort of stuff. In other words, I'm waiting for you to give me something that floats my boat, piques my passion, uses my gift, gives me self-satisfaction, gives me self-fulfillment. Does that sound like our earlier definition of what service actually is? Like, what's the end focus here? What are we diving in at? We're looking for something for us, or are we actually serving, realising that this is not about me? Service is actually about other people. When our gifts are unneeded, or we go unrecognised for some God-given ability, often we decide we'll go somewhere else where we're needed. Ultimately, I think it comes down to this. Are we serving for the benefit of the body or for our own self-fulfillment? Why are we serving? What's service about? Maybe we need to relook at the way we view service in church. What if service is one of those degrees of change that we need to make? What if we need to realign ourselves with God's plans for his church? Here's a question. What if service in the church is not solely about exercising your gifts and talents. Stay with me. What if it's not about solely that? What if it's not solely about finding you, finding self-fulfillment? What if it's not solely about you connecting with your passion? What if it's not solely about you feeling self-satisfied? Here's a thought. What if true service, what if true service was about something as simple as meeting a current need? What if it was really about filling the current gap? What if it was really about others? Go to Acts chapter 6. I want to share a story with you. We don't get a lot of glimpses into what the church looked like as it grew and some of the situations they found in front of them and some of the obstacles they had to overcome. But in Acts chapter 6, we get a rare glimpse into something that was going on. Now, I don't want to get deep and theological, which, which a lot of people, I, I can with this particular story, but I want us to see on the surface what's going on here. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing... The Hellenistic Jews, the Hellenistic Jews were the Jews that mostly were brought up outside of Jerusalem itself. They'd adopted a lot of Greek culture, Greek language and so on, but they were still Jews. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained about the Hebraic Jews. Hebraic Jews were the Jew Jews. Okay? They were the ones that were brought up full Jew, Jewish culture, Jewish language and so on. So they were closer to the mothership, if you want to put it that way. Okay? Uh, the, the, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So in other words, here's a program where we've got people that need food. It's a feeding program. 
Okay? And all of a sudden there's a situation as it's growing. It starts off by saying there that in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. So as the church was growing, more opportunity presented itself within the context of that church, right? So it says as it was growing, this opportunity came up. They realized, hey, we've got a thing going on here where we're feeding these people. Now nobody knows exactly... By the way, if, you want to, if you're a deep theological sit, thinker, sitter there right now before you judge me, nobody knows whether it was actually distribution of food or whether it was a distribution of money. What we do know is this. Either if it was food, it was going to these widows that needed food. If it was money, the distribution they're talking about was money that was collected to give to the widows to go and buy food. That's why they put the word food in there. The word food doesn't actually appear in the original Greek language. So we don't know whether it was waiting on tables as a waiter or waiting on on, on tables as a banker where they came and, and you distributed to them. Either way, it doesn't matter. Okay? The church was growing and here was an opportunity. Now watch what they have to say. This is really weird. This is fascinating to me. Acts chapter 6 verse 3. Look at this. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them. How unspiritual is that? Seriously. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men who have the spirit and are wise. How unspiritual. Hang on, why don't we go and ask them, who's got a passion for this? Come on, who's got a passion to feed these widows? Who, who comes alive when they feed widows? Come on, who's the person who, when you feed a widow, you just get, the bulbs go off, so excited, and it's just, you walk away going, I'm so glad I did that, I'm alive! Choose. Just choose seven people to do it. How unspiritual. Go and ask them to pray. Do they feel led about doing this? Do you feel goosebumps when I say hungry women? What's happening? Oh, come on. No. Go and choose seven people. Just would you go and choose seven people? There's a need right now. And if we fill this need, we can keep marching forward. We don't want to get bogged down here. Let's fill the need. Who's willing and able? That's basically what they're saying. The, the parameters were very clear. Fill with the Spirit or be a believer. All right? And wisdom. In other words, have, have some basic knowledge of being able to do what's needed to be done. Let me tell you, the first time I ever picked up a microphone... I'll tell you a little bit about my, my story here. All right? I first picked up a microphone at 19 years of age. I wagged school, literally wagged school every day of my life. I did not do one oral presentation in all my years up to grade 12 because I wagged. I just didn't go to school. I went downtown to the fish and chip shop in Ballina. I went to the beach. I went fishing. I did whatever. And I got zero marks and I didn't care. Because there's no way I was going to stand in front of people and talk. I get saved at 19. This United Church youth pastor comes to me called Jeff Thomas and says, Alan, we're doing a thing at Ballina High. Because you're a student and you left there last year, would you go and would you talk to these kids and tell them about Jesus? All we need is this. We want somebody who's young and can talk. They weren't looking for any gifting, passion, lead. They just wanted young and talk. And at that stage in the United Church, I was definitely the youngest. I was definitely the youngest and I could talk. So the parameters were very broad. I just want someone young who can talk. And so I got up and I was young and I could talk and I took the opportunity and made an absolute goose of myself in front of hundreds of kids and teachers. I won't go into it right now, but I was so embarrassed and swore to God I'll never talk in front of a group ever again. Threw the microphone down and ran through the auditorium past the kids while they're laughing at me. But you know what? There was a need presented to me and I was so immature in my faith I didn't realise I had to have passion for it. 
I didn't realize that in order for God to truly use me and make a difference, I needed to feel led. I didn't know I needed a word from God. I didn't know I needed goosebumps. I didn't know that that I had to feel self-fulfilled. I was changing my pants regularly in the days leading up to it. I was that nervous, that scared about standing in front of these kids. But it was a need that was presented to me and so I did that. I got saved 19 years of age. Uh, Not long after that, six months later, I'm in YWAM. And I'm in YWAM and I did my training. At the end of my training, uh, people got asked to come back because they were very mature, come back and be staff members and lead schools and train people. They said to me, Alan, can you use a spanner and can you drive a tractor? We just want a maintenance man. I didn't get off any of the fancy stuff. They just asked me, would I come be a maintenance man? But you know what? I didn't know. I just, yep, that's the need. And I'm called to be here in this organisation. That's all I know. I'm meant to be here. So I started driving tractors around and fixing screen doors and putting up shelves, doing all that sort of stuff. I didn't know that I had to have passion. I didn't know I had to be led. I didn't know I had to have a word. I didn't know that I had to feel goosebumps. I didn't know I had to have self-fulfillment. I didn't know that at the end of the day it was okay to feel like, gee, that was a hard day and I never got a single goosebump out of it. But I'm pretty sure I served somebody. I'm pretty sure it made a difference somewhere along the line. I found out later on that the YWAM base was in incredible debt. They were in a lot of debt, this property we had, and and we wanted to get out of debt. So little old me at at 20 years of age, didn't know much about much, said to my leaders, well, why don't we, at night time after dinner, why don't we all go and just pray for half an hour for that? So I started a prayer meeting. I knew nothing about nothing. I just knew that, okay, we're in debt. What do you need when you're in debt? Well, you need money. Okay, well, I haven't got money, but I can pray. So I gathered people together and we started praying. When we started praying, businesses started ringing us up, going, oh, look, we've got a four-week contract and we just need somebody to come and work for us, unskilled labour. And we need someone to come for four weeks and move furniture. Half of the high-rise buildings in Brisbane, I carried the fridges to the top floor. And you know what? I didn't get a cent out of it because I was praying and then these opportunities came in. So I said, okay, the opportunity's there to earn money. I'll do it and all the money can go to the debt and to pay off the base. You know, today the base is debt-free. They've moved and they've got a huge facility and so on. I didn't feel led. I didn't have a passion. Who's got a passion to go and work hard so somebody else gets all the money? I didn't have that passion, no way. But I just did it because it was a need. I find myself in India not long after that. There's about 12 of us on a team. We wanted to have some worship one day. Nobody knows how to play a guitar. I knew three chords, three chords. I know five now, but I knew three back then. So I pick up the guitar and I start playing and I become a worship leader. Was I passionate? Did I feel called? Did I feel led? Did I have a goosebump? No, it was simply a need that was presented there and I knew if somebody feels that need, we can move on. So I put my hand up and I became a worship leader. I didn't feel led. I remember when we were in the GSAC. I remember being in the GSAC and setting up every morning. We'd come on in, we'd set up chairs. And you know one of my favourite times, and I'm glad you're here this morning, Jeff and Karina, because one of my favourite memories of my time at the GSAC is this. One morning I rocked up to come on in to set everything up and Jeff and Karina were already there and they're setting up chairs and setting up sound gear. And by the way, that's one of the things I've loved about these guys is they see a need, they just roll their sleeves back and they do it. And so I get there and they're already setting stuff up. I will guarantee if I sat them down now and said, did you really feel led? Was there a word from the Lord? Do you have passion? Is it, is it always been your dream to walk into an empty auditorium, set up 40 chairs and know that six of them are going to be used? Do you really, was that your craving as a child? That what you wanted? Probably not. But it was a need. There were needs there. And so people stepped into these spaces of need. And that's what's going on here in Acts. They're not over-spiritualizing it. They're going, here's the deal. We've got a need presented to us. And if people will just step into that need... 
Then we can go on. Go a couple of verses on from there and it gives you the results. I think it's in verse 7. Have you got that for me, Luke? In verse 7, it tells you the result. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient. What did this happen? It happened on the back of a simple, unspiritual thing. The church was growing. They encountered a situation where they had a need and people said, hey, I'll do that. And they stepped into that place of need. And on the back of that, the church was able to continue to move forward and to grow to the point where many people began to come to faith. How unspiritual is that? I fear that we get in church and we talk about serving and we talk so much about passion and we talk about find your gifting, find where your gift fits and all this stuff. Now, I believe in all that stuff, but I believe this, that's not the starting point. We don't know a lot about these seven waiters. The seven waiters that started waiting on the tables. Hmm? One of them was called Stephen. Another one, Philip. We, we don't know a lot about them. But we know a bit about Stephen. What do we know about Stephen? Well, you go on to the very next part of Acts chapter 6 and what's happening with Stephen? Stephen is preaching a message, a powerful, God-inspired, Spirit-led message to a bunch of people. So powerful, in fact, that it cost him his life. He got stoned. You read it. Stephen got stoned. And as a result of Stephen stoning, the gospel spread out of Jerusalem for the first time. They took off to Samaria. Remember Jesus said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, out of most parts. Took the death of Stephen to kick the church. Get out there. Tell people. And they went out. But you know what? Not only did he preach to those people, he preaches to you and me every time we read Acts chapter 6 and 7. Doesn't he? That message has gone on. He didn't know at the time that it was going to be recorded by Luke. He didn't know at the time that for generations until the return of Christ, that message was recorded so that we could all read it. He started out as a waiter meeting a need. And he found his way to where he needed to be. But he started meeting a need. The other one we know about is Philip. We don't know a great deal about the others. Philip, he's another one. We find out later on, I think it's in Acts 21. First of all, Philip goes to Samaria after the persecution. Philip's the guy that spoke to Ethiopian eunuch. That Ethiopian eunuch, according to church history, went on to become the father of the Ethiopian church. Took the gospel back to Ethiopia. He's, 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 he's encountered this sorcerer. And he's doing miracles. And these miracles are so amazing that the sorcerer gets saved. You all know the story. Go and read it. Acts chapter 7, 8, 9. Acts 21, we bump into Philip again. This time, they designate who he is. They say, and Philip the evangelist who had some daughters. Philip was an evangelist. What was he doing? Starting over here, waiting on a table. Why wasn't he starting with a microphone preaching to the masses? He's an evangelist. But he started over here where there was a need. There was simply a need. And I fear the way we get taught in church these days about service and find your passion and what makes yourself fulfilled and what makes yourself satisfied and where is your gift, all that stuff. I believe it all, but here's what I've found in life. You start with need first and you'll find your way to that. But people who are sitting back going, I'll wait until that's there, you'll never get there. You'll never get there. You'll never get there. Sometimes what the church actually needs is your service, not your gift. I'll say it again. Sometimes what the church needs and what God needs for the church to grow is your service, not your gift. In other words, who is willing and who's able? Think about it. What other area of life do you not do what's needed because it's not my passion or calling? How many of you husbands 
when your baby did a big poo and went right up the back and you had to clean it up and your wife came home two hours later and it's burning your child's body because you didn't get it off, you didn't clean it. How many of you think it would have worked to go, well, it's just not my passion. Sorry, love, I I didn't feel led. It's not my calling. It doesn't float my boat when I clean up pooey nappies. We wouldn't do it in a family, would we? Oh, look, I just didn't feel led to feed you this morning. Chloe, sorry. I prayed about it and I just didn't have a clear word, so... (laughs) Haven't done your washing. Sounds funny, doesn't it? But we do it in church all the time. What about at work? How many of you that own a business are going to be okay if your employee comes to you on Monday and goes, well, look, I know you wanted me to do that. I know that it needed to be done, but I just didn't feel that. Oh, sorry, okay, fair enough. (laughs) That's fine, you know. But when 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 I do that, I just don't feel self-fulfilled. There's no self-satisfaction when I do that. I don't feel great. Oh, no, that's fine. Don't, don't. Who would do that at work? We wouldn't do it in the family. Wouldn't do it at work. What about if you play sport? I'm only going to do what I'm gifted. I'm not gifted to do that. Yeah, yeah, but it doesn't matter whether you feel gifted to do that. That's what I need you to do. That's, That's your part in the team right now. You just need to do that. I'm sorry, Wayne Bennett. I just don't feel gifted. I, You know, it's not my gift. Okay. It wouldn't work in other areas of life and we don't do it in other areas of life. But for some reason, we think of service in the church and we have this weird mentality. And you know what? Here's the thing. I don't blame us. I blame a lot of the teaching we've heard about what it means to serve. Because what we do inadvertently, we don't mean to, but most teaching about service in the church inadvertently puts you as the centre and the focus. It's all about you. Well, hang on. That's not what service is in the Word of God. Matthew chapter 20. Jesus talks about himself. He says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Are you telling me that as he sat there in the Garden of Gethsemane and said to the Father, If we can do this another way, let's do it? Are you telling me that in that moment he was showing self fulfillment, self satisfaction, joy, passion? Sometimes serving is not about you. It's not about you. And we need to get beyond that. As a church this year, I believe we will grow. I've watched, sat back in amazement and watched what God's done in the last six months in the life of Arise here. And I believe that he's going to do more. But he calls upon us and he says, will you work with me? God doesn't do anything apart from working alongside of people. He created the garden and then he said to them, you've got a role to play right from the very beginning. I'll create something, but you've got to work. You've got to do your bit. And our bit here is service. And we right now we might not have areas that float your boat. We might not have that area, that dream area of, of, of opportunity that you're living for. Okay? You've got two choices, three choices. One, you sit here and you do nothing. And you leave everything up to everybody else. Number two, you leave. You find somewhere that does right now, walk straight into to a glove that suits your hand and you get into it. Or three, you, you do what I believe the Word of God paints a picture of a servant as... And you go, right here, what's needed right now? You know, in a year's time, my passion might be there. We might grow, God might move, God might do things, and there'll be that place. And and, and as I begin to work and I begin to be a gap filler, as I begin to step into the current needs, then I believe that that's when we find our ultimate fulfillment. I'm I'm not called, let let me, I'm not called, I'm not passionate about children's ministry, per se. But let me tell you something, nothing brings more joy to my heart than when I see a child crying or something and I can make them laugh. Inside of me, there's just this amazing feeling 
But I would not say it's my passion, my gift, my call. But when I do something for that child, I can't explain the joy that I feel on the inside of me when I do that. See, I I believe that self-fulfillment, satisfaction, all that stuff comes as a byproduct of true service, selfless service. When we empty ourselves and we go, I'll just start where the need is, then I believe we find fulfillment and we find satisfaction at the back end of that. So, it was revealed to them. They were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. They served with a bigger vision. They weren't just serving a current congregation, they were serving a future generation. And what we do today makes a difference to a future generation. And my challenge to you this morning is this. There are areas within the life of Arise where you can serve. I'm not going to guarantee you that there are areas that you want to serve. But there are needs. There are things that we want to do and feel to do. Opportunities for you to step into. And as we do that, we can continue to move forward. And we can become what God wants us to become. Why did God put us here? We're working it out. But I know this. He put us here because he's building his church and he wants his church to take this great message of salvation to the world. I'll finish with this. Ephesians 4 verse 16 says this. says, From him, speaking of God, from God the whole body, that's you and me, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. The New King James says, by what every joint supplies. Everyone say every. Every. Hand up if you think that includes you. Some of us. Some of us still not sure. That's okay. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. It grows and it builds itself up in love. As what? Come on. As what? Each part? Hand up if you think you're an each. Part. As it does its what? Here's my challenge for you this morning. I'm going to leave those boards there for a couple of weeks. Here's the thing. You are a part. I'm calling you a part. I dub thee parts in the life of Arise. I dub thee all parts in Jesus' name. You are now anointed parts in the life of Arise. You're anointed parts. My challenge for you is this. What is your work? Where will you put your hand? What will you do? It doesn't have to take all week, every day of your life, but just something to help us become the community that we want to be, to be strong the way we should be so that we can take the message of Jesus out there like he's called us to do. So, Father, I want to pray and just thank you, Lord, for our time this morning. God, thank you, Father, that uh, uh, Jesus, you gave us the model of what service looks like. It doesn't matter what popular culture tells us. You humbled yourself to the point of death. You emptied yourself. You didn't consider uh, equality with God something to be grasped onto. But you did what needed to be done. You fulfilled your individual call, but you also were a part of that corporate purpose that you had for eternity for mankind. Even though it didn't feel good, even though it wasn't comfortable, even though you weren't exuding passion at the moment, you did it anyway, Jesus, and that's our example. And so, Father, I pray for each person here, Lord. Would you speak to us, God? Would you show us, Lord, what it looks like to serve, God? Would you show us our part? 
And Lord, if it doesn't float our boat, if it doesn't get our juices flowing, Lord, I pray that we would have the strength to get beyond that and to realize that we're not serving so that we would get something. We're serving in order to give something for the benefit of others. So, Father, thank you, Lord. And God, I pray as we leave this place today, I pray that in the next seven days, Lord, would you give every one of us in this room, give every one of us a chance to share that wonderful message of the cross, God, that message of hope with somebody out there that needs hope right now, Lord, that doesn't know that message, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Do you still like me? Are we still friends? Yep, good. It's too late. If we're not, it's out there now. I can't take it all back. Can't take it all back. Anyway, be blessed. Have a great uh, rest of your week. We'll catch us around at different times and places. If not, we'll see you back here on Sunday. You'll have a great service. Amen.